New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. As humans, we embrace a full symphony of qualities every day of our lives. We crescendo with ecstasy and excitement and plunge with guilt and worry. Whether or not these qualities are helpful or challenging, they remain our steadfast daily companions on our pilgrimage through life. Today we'll be exploring some of these qualities and other topics such as creativity, beauty, befriending imagination, and more with our guest, Ruth Gendler. Ruth Gendler is an artist and a writer and leads workshops in writing and creativity throughout the United States. She has come up with some extraordinary results in working with elementary, middle school, and high school students, encouraging them in the art of poetry, painting, and mask making. In October 2007, the Lineage Dance Company presented a theater piece based on her book, The Book of Qualities, now in its 52nd printing. Wow. Her other books include Changing Light, The Eternal Cycle of Night and Day, and Notes on the Need for Beauty, an Intimate Look at an Essential Quality. Join us for the next hour as we explore the rich palette of human qualities with our guest, Ruth Gendler. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Ruth, welcome. Thank you, Justine. I've been listening to that introduction in different um, iterations for a long time. You have been. We have been sitting across from one another for many, many yeah. years now. I think when that when uh, Book of Qualities first came out. Yes. And so now it's 52 printings later. Right, and submitted by my imaginary staff to... Uh, <laughs> Michael, I had a character named Wendy Smith, my um, punk publicist. Oh, fabulous. I had self-published long before it was the thing to do and then sold the book to HarperCollins. Right. You were a pioneer in self-publishing, <laughs> and it has all these beautiful drawings in it, too. That was no small feat. Right. I worked for publishers for most of my 20s, so I, I'm not so familiar if I self-publish again with the process as it exists now, but I, w- I had worked for one person in particular and had really done everything for her. So I, I knew that I needed editing. I knew I wanted really beautiful graphic design. It wasn't like I 
had no background when I went to publish the book. Well, obviously, because the book was physically beautiful, it really came off really well. Let's talk about the early years when you even first conceived this book. What are the early origins of the Book of Qualities? How far back do you want me to go? (laughs) When I'm working with children, and I often start with color poems, and when I was in fourth grade, one of the most memorable experiences of my grade school career was we got to write color poems. And I not only wrote one about blue, I wrote one on red and pink. And we had a book called Hailstones and Halibut Bones. And I think there was something about writing and art and thought and feeling and the idea that the color, the end of the book um, by Mary O'Neill ends, the colors live between black and white in a land that we know best by sight, but knowing best isn't everything because colors laugh and colors sing and colors dance and colors cry. Turn off the light and colors die. They make you feel every feeling there is from the grumpiest grump to the fizziest fizz. And you and you and you and I know well, each has a taste and each has a smell and each has a wonderful story to tell. So Mary O'Neill didn't personify colors, but she wrote about 12 colors. I can usually remember about 10 of them. And that opened it up for me. Um, Around the same time, there was a shopping center being built in my hometown, which is Omaha, Nebraska. And I, I must have heard the phrase, a cup of kindness. So I imagined in fourth grade a store where they sold qualities. And you could go in and it was kind of a trading post or a library. You could get rid of some anger or you could pick up some kindness. And it was a motif. It was a little metaphor I carried. And when I was 21 or 22, I tried to do a drawing of it or maybe a little bit older as I was starting to draw more. And when I was 26, this this is why I said, how much detail do you want? No, this is great. When I was 26, I think I had a massage for one of the first times in my life. And the body worker said, what do you do for pleasure? Pleasure. I'm serious, girl. I'm a serious young woman. Um, Pleasure is a gossip and a flirt, and she drinks too much, and she distracts you from your work. And I, I went home and wrote about 11 qualities, and I showed them, I think, to my friend Celine Vega. And she said, you know, you could do a book. And I was like, yeah, yeah. When I was young, I wanted to write, but I really want to be an artist. And then um, eventually, over the next couple of years, I remember talking to Michael Toms about this in my first New Dimensions interview. I was in a car accident. My life was intercepted and um, slowed down for a little while. And I wanted to go to a poetry group, and I brought out those 11 qualities. And then I proceeded over about a six-month period to write probably most of the book. And then I enrolled in—I had been working in publishing. I enrolled in art therapy grad school. I wrote a paper on women and creativity, which kind of was a foundation for what I needed to learn to do. And then I went back and rewrote for another year. So I like this story a lot because people will say, how long did it take you to write the book of qualities? And the, tr- the one answer is most of it was written in six months. Another answer was it took four years And another answer is the seeds were in childhood. My third book, Notes on the Need for Beauty, the title for that phrase um, came to me during that period after the car accident, and it was a rant about the ugliness of the world. Um, And then many years later, I was able to finish the book. 
And one of the things I really um, think about a lot as a creative person is how in this instant world we're living in where we expect, you know, we get an email, we expect to answer it. A half hour later is a long time. <laughs> how, how in this instant world, not that we're going to escape that now, can we also build in time for these long seeds to gestate? And I love titles. So I have titles for projects and chapters and for years before I can grow into and stand with what I want to say. And sometimes I have to write a lot and then go back and simplify it. And that reminds me, I know that one of your pieces of advice in in working with the imagination is to just sit with an image for a long time. Right. Longer than, I mean, we're in this age of instant gratification. So this is a, a, a true discipline. It to is. S- it is. So yeah. can you say something about that? sitting with an image for a long time. Let me think about that a little. Um, It doesn't always have to be sitting. It can be walking with that image. It can be swimming with that image. It can be um, visiting it and coming back to it. It doesn't always have to be a long time. If it's not a long time, it can be a regular time. So it's you're saying it's not this sustained sort of thing that we kind of beat ourselves up with saying, I'm going to have to sit with this image for these many minutes or this day or whatever. It You can go and you can visit it and right. then let it recede and visit it again. Is that what you're saying? I'm, I would even add to that. I think we because we're in a very rule-based, um, accountability-based measurement time in our society, we're looking for very um, strong systems. And I'm, I think we all need structure, but I think we need to find the creative structures that will um, allow us to deepen what we know. I remember years ago, a writing student told me she didn't keep a journal because someone had told her she had to keep it at the same time every day. Uh. And there's a lot of that. And, and that really works at certain times in one's life or for certain people most of their life. But part of the creative is it's... My creativity quality starts out, creativity is not efficient. She has a different relationship with time than most of us. And I'm like, I knew that then. I knew that 30 years ago. And I'm still having to remind myself that it's um, almost like a discipline of paying attention to inspiration. Um, Another story I was thinking about recently that really uh, moved me is when I was young, I was taking a figure drawing class, and the teacher came up to me and said, uh, your faces, you draw your faces so wonderfully. I'd like you to draw the inside of the elbow with that much observation and attention. And a few years later, I was in a class where we were sculpting the body, the one time I got to do that, which I loved. And the guy came up to me and he said, your faces are so wonderful. Maybe you should do a series of faces or masks. And I I like that because there are times in our lives where we have a creative um, strength and we want to develop the parts that aren't as strong. But then there are times in our lives where our life's chaotic. it's, It's enough that you're writing. It doesn't have to be at the same time every day. Or maybe it's a time in your life where you really, you know, what kind of discipline do you need right now? Not, it's always going to be the same. I I like the word about it's it's not efficient. Which quality was creativity? It? Creativity. Creativity is not efficient. I love that because you know in the, we're coming out of the industrial 
age, and and it was all about efficiency and getting the most most value out of our time and efforts. And this creativity is is more wide open right. than that. Right. Right. And uh, I, I so I, I love that. and this is a. a what this book, these qualities, they'll just sort of pop for you. You can almost open the book like an oracle and see what... I did today on the way here. I oh, opened goody. it to creativity, so that was like... It was on your mind then. It was like, oh, I'm glad that was that, you know. Yeah. It's like after I wrote the beauty book and people said out of 76 qualities, um, why did you pick the quality of beauty to write a whole book about? And I was like, I guess... I mean, it was very, very challenging, but I guess I was lucky. I didn't have to write a book on jealousy or <laughs> anger or, you know, even forgiveness. I mean, beauty is challenging. Any quality is really quite um, rich and will take you through several others. So, yeah. And there are no real, like, I'm going to use the word bad qualities or, or less less than good qualities. They're all just, we're just a mixture of all of them in our life. I think they can be, many kinds of qualities can be difficult. I mean, joy is extremely difficult to um, allow in our lives. as this pleasure, you know, um, coming back to that. um, After I wrote those first 11 qualities and they sat in the notebook, I, I, when I went back to them, one of the first things I wrote is pleasure is wild and sweet. Pleasure is wild and sweet. I love it. I'm here with Ruth Gendler, and she is the author of The Book of Qualities and also Notes on the Need for Beauty. And if you want to know more about her work, you can go to her website, ruthgendlerstudio.com. And Gendler is spelled G-E-N-D-L-E-R, Ruth Gendler studio.com or you can get there through the new dimensions website newdimensions.org i'm justine willis toms you're listening to new dimensions I'm here with Ruth Gendler, and she is the author of The Book of Qualities, as well as Notes on the Need for Beauty. And uh, Ruth, you do a lot of work in schools with young people. Right. And this is just, it's so magnificent what you're able to 
to pull out of them. I mean, maybe it goes back to the story you were telling about being in the fourth grade and your fourth grade teacher gave you a little bit of structure. Right. And out of that structure, just great creativity came from that class. And now you are doing that. You're passing it on, passing it forward to, to kids. And so let's talk a little bit about your work with children and young people. Okay. The thing that I'm enjoying the very most at the moment is I've been doing a private class for about three years, um, a small group, very creative kids, where their creativity has really announced itself very young. And they, they're they very special. And some of them, I think it's okay to say this, are going to do fine in school and really fit in and be great academic writers. And some of them are really out of the box. And they're writing from a soul level or from a, a level of heart and mind that is not really what our culture is so interested in right now. So I I really feel like uh, I've become almost an anthropologist of the imagination. I see a lot of different routes to creativity. If I weren't working with kids, one of the things that really interests me is the generativity and creativity in people in 70s, 80s, 90s. I know there was a woman being interviewed on NPR recently, and she wrote her first novel at 94. I know there are a couple people in their 90s who are curating art shows and people creating. I think it's harder to create if you don't have a context or an audience or an invitation in some ways when you're older. But I'm very interested in creativity through the lifespan. And one of the things, I didn't train exactly to do that work. It found me. You know, when I was young, when I was in that nine-year-old girl's stage, I wanted to be a writer and an artist when I grew up. But I was quite shy, and I didn't imagine that I would be able to walk into classrooms and get kids writing anger qualities. And I remember a high school girl writing, Lust wears her sweater two sizes too small. You know, total <laughs> high school kind of quality. Yeah. I didn't know how much I would feel that dialogue with other people in a creative context was as much a part of my creative expression as my own art and writing. So it this work's been a constant uh source of revelation and I love it especially now because I'm not doing as much of it because I sort of felt like when I was teaching all the time you get burned out and I have utter respect for anyone in the classroom every day it's it's so much work oh it is it is and and I know that one of the qualities that you talk about uh, in in teaching and when when a teacher has time to really listen to their students. And that is just with all that's required of teachers, especially in public schools and private schools and charter schools, that there there's very little time for that kind of deep listening that that brings out something inside these children that can be surprising. Right. I love the phrase emotional intelligence, Dan, Dan Goldman's phrase. And I have seen classroom teachers who are, another quality that's very interesting to me right now is coherence. And I have seen teachers who who can create a space both mentally and also physically in their classroom because you're often in classrooms in this, you know, on a, on a hallway and different, you're at the same school, same population, and you see so many different kinds of teaching. Um but teachers that can create a space where there is um, mind and heart, mind and body, 
I think we're going to really need to keep educating the body and the senses as we have these very compelling and seductive um, devices and screens, which are um, easy for me to rant against, but of course I use them and enjoy their their speed and what they act, what they open up to. But we really need to keep educating heart and body. You know, uh, Ruth, I'm I'm thinking about the work that you do with students, and you might be what one might call an incidental teacher. I mean, you yeah. come in and you kind of do your thing. You're not there every day or throughout right. the whole year, but there you are. And I know that there have been studies of young people who have turned out to be very successful in their lives, and these studies have come up with the uh, information and the idea that they were influenced by just such a person in their life that came incidentally into Mm -hmm. the classroom and encouraged them in some way, in some creative endeavor, and that began just like in your own fourth grade became a key right. in your enti- in their entire life and it, and it took them on a trajectory that became that unfolded in such a way that they became very very successful because of that encouragement right right so are are you finding this this true is that are you running across this I, in any way i think that Everybody needs somebody in their life that listens to them, believes in them, and it can come from such sideways places. Um, I think creativity is really contagious. I think the lack of creativity can be very contagious. I One of my favorite things about the work I've done is I've, I've gotten to know certain kids over four, five, six years, and I recently had a young woman come into my life as a high school student. She was the only student in an adult writing class. And, you know, she was 17, and at 31 or 32, she's just gotten back in touch with me. And we didn't get accepted, but we applied to do a, a cross intergenerational poetry presentation at a reading together. And that's delightful. Um, I think we also have that relationship sometimes with people in books. I was talking to you about the idea that the conversation isn't just always human to human, you can be having almost a conversation with a tree or a conversation across time. Somebody can pick up Emily Dickinson, or I can look at some of my art feels like I, I feel so connected with certain artists across time. It's, it's very interesting to me, different ages and um, where, where are our inspirations and our nourishments? You know, the poet David White, he talks about how we are in this in dialogue constantly. We're, we're yes. in conversation yes. all the time with, right. with nature as we're walking. You talk about having a conversation with windows and doorways. Yeah, yeah. And, and so we're, we're conversing all the time. So I, I really acknowledge, you know, your that idea that it's rich and we and you right now are thinking about the conversation that we have in letters right. as we write a letter. Can you say something about why this matters? Well, after I finished notes on the need for beauty, I was planning to write a book probably called Time and the Rhythms of Beauty and I found I had sort of written my way into the studio 
and I have been doing a lot of art for the last five years. It's been incredible to have so much nonverbal time as a writer and a speaker and a kind of a messenger to go into a space of color and texture and shape. And recently, uh, I've been feeling like, oh, maybe it's time to do some writing. And maybe there's some things I want to say about creativity in my 60s and start to harvest this. And maybe it's not going to be exactly a book on time, but I'm deeply interested in time. My father was a clock collector. I, I, you know, learned early that creativity is not efficient and that sometimes I'm very productive and sometimes I really need to be lost and meander gray clouds. And it's very hard for a certain part of myself to give myself that. So um, I'm always interested in what integrates in time. And one of the things I feel strongly about is walking. But I was recently asked to write a short piece about letters, and it came at an amazing time because I had, in preparation for our conversation, brought out a box of letters from 30 years ago when the Book of Qualities came out. And I was looking at the handwriting, and I was looking at the notes, and I was looking at letters from people who aren't alive anymore. And I was so moved, um, you know, occasionally I'll find a letter that my father wrote. And um, I had a correspondent named Elizabeth Rose Campbell, who was a writer for The Sun magazine, and she died young. And we had about an 18-year correspondence. And many years after um, she died, I've become friends with a friend of hers in the East Coast. Um, and she's just written a wonderful book called World Enough in Time a book on creativity and slowing down, Christian McEwen. And so the whole idea of writing, we're emailing mostly, although trying to write postcards occasionally, the whole idea of writing letters and postcards, and of course over the years I've made note cards of my art, that that's just a really simple little way to slow down. Grief notes have to be written by hand, but Mm -hmm. other notes too. I mean, recently I was wanting to, email someone I couldn't find her, email someone I didn't know that well. I found her home address on the web, and I thought, you know, I have shoeboxes of postcards in my garage. I go write a postcard. It didn't take any longer than the email. There's something not just about the sentences and the care, but for me as an artist and a person who's trying to stay embodied, the hand connects to the, through the arm, to the heart, to the mind. So an actual handwritten note or letter. Not for yeah. everybody, yeah. but for sometimes. And right. it's it's a beautiful way to slow down the letters of the alphabet. You know, we use that word letters for the same thing, the symbols of the alphabet, as to write a letter. And it's been part of sort of the writer's root system forever, writing letters. Mm-hmm. You know, many writers started their day by writing a letter. Or when I was young, before the blogs and memoir craze, I loved reading um, letters of artists and writers because it's a form that can be personal and impersonal. You know, you can be commenting on the emotional weather, but you can also be of the time. And you're writing to one other person. You're not writing anonymously. You're not writing in your journal. You're writing to someone, maybe it's somebody you lived near for many years and now they're on the other side of the country. There there is a different quality, Ruth, when you 
write a letter to someone than writing, as you say, I just want to reiterate what you just said, writing in your journal for yourself or writing a blog that's going to go out to all sorts of people. When you're writing to one person, it becomes so intimate, but it's also public in a way. I mean, it's taking it, you're seeing yourself from a different vantage point because you're also standing in the place of the per- receiver. Right, right. So I found this, I was writing this little piece on letters the other day, and I found um, my friend, when my friend Elizabeth uh, died, I was going to write a memorial to her, which I haven't done, but I, I started we, it. You started it, and we're going to come back yeah. to what, what happened there and how, and how it manifested. I'm here with Ruth Gendler, and she is the author of the Book of Qualities, as well as the notes on the need for beauty. And it, and if you want to be in touch with her, you can go to her website, ruthgenlerstudio.com, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Ruth Gendler, and she is the author of the book of Qualities, and that's what we're talking about. And right now we're talking about letters and letter writing. And Ruth, you're about to tell a story of a friend who has passed on who wrote for Sun Pacific Sun? No, a long time ago she wrote for the Sun magazine. She she was a writer. um, But there's just something about the correspondence that you can have with the friend on the other side of the country where we're trying on different kinds of writing. She, I had this note from her. It was only 20 years ago. I mean, we're not talking the 1830s. Um, she wrote, The pleasure of a long letter is a pleasure that lingers. I've saved your long, luxurious letter of 612, wanting to respond in kind, long, leisurely, luxurious. I've reread it many times to the point where I've forgotten I'm supposed to reply. And oh. the idea that, and I mean, I'm thinking how fast we're changing. The idea that someone would get a letter and it would be so um, luxurious to linger over it. You know, I get an email and if I haven't answered by the next day, I'm like, oh dear. You know, <laughs> this, this, again, it's not that I'm saying the fast is wrong. I have an incredibly fast mind. I love um, quickness. But... If we can't keep the slow or if the fast is going to dominate this much, what are the ways we can bring the slow back? Walking, cooking, letter writing. How do we um, at least add add a, a little bit of that to right. our week? I mean, right. it may not be everything, but right. at least I know when I write a note, I love picking out uh, cards, uh-huh. you know, to, to write on and uh, it just it just delights me to find the perfect. I found some cards recently that just had 
all sorts of bird nests. Oh, nice. Yeah, it was so nice. Some had eggs in them and some were empty. And they just, I love the artwork of that. And so I would write notes. And what I do is then I make a copy on my my printer of the card I just wrote. I mean, not yeah. every time, but I make a copy. So I, I kind of have this documented idea of, what was I thinking about right, then? And right. it stimulates other things because if I've written it to one person, I'm also kind of writing it to myself. Absolutely, yeah. Do you do you feel that? Well, I think that especially in the letter writing form, you are so often combining thinking and feeling, so you start to write your way into a clarity you didn't know you had. And I think there are so many different reasons that people write. Um one thing I did want to say, when I first started teaching writing, um, especially when I went back to the Midwest, but here too, I was working really hard to get people to be more personal and open up. And now, often, I see my um, function as to get people to be more observational and write more about other things, whether it's nature or other people. I think writing is an incredible tool for um getting to know ourselves and see parts of ourselves. But I think it's also a way of having empathy for others and for observation. Again, with the balancing, I mean, the Book of Qualities is so much about balancing. No quality is all good or bad. But um, there was a great story in a book called Art and Fear about a, a art class for, I think it was college, and the teacher gave the class, divided the class in half, and one half of the class had to make one pot, and the other half of the class had to use, I don't know, 50 pounds of clay. And at the end of the semester, it was very clear that kids who had done 50 pounds of clay were better potters than the people who had tried to make one perfect pot. And I love that story as a teaching mm -hmm. creative story for a long time. But recently I was somewhere, and they were talking about asking the young artists to, they gave them a film camera and they could only take 27 pictures because now, you know, with the um, camera, we just shoot indiscriminately. So again, it's like, what's the balance? There was a time when you really wanted to be extravagant and abundant and make lots of things. And then there's a time to say, I, I can take pictures so quickly now. I only get to take 27 and I only get to turn in three, I'm going to really be strategic and think about what I want to say and I'm really going to focus. So I think it's always um, balancing between the personal and the um, memoir and, and then the world and seeing outside yourself. I'm thinking uh, how... It helpful it is for people such as yourself to give us prompts yeah. to help us to kind of get into some sort of creative endeavor. And I know one of the prompts that, that you have given out at some point in one of your books someplace is to write about what are you a connoisseur of? Oh, right. And I love that. It was like, oh, that, I thought, oh, I'm going to take that to my women's group because oh, it, great. it just... What am I a connoisseur of? And it just started me thinking, and I've been thinking about writing a memoir, my own memoir, and it has to have an arc. 
right, of some sort. Right. And I put a note to myself for my possible arc is, what am I a connoisseur of? What, what have I developed? What has developed throughout the arc of my life that uh. has brought me to this point? And it was a wonderful exercise. Thank you for that. Oh, great. Yeah. I want to hear more about what you're a connoisseur of. <laughs> well, what I wrote at that time, and then again, we're going back to, it doesn't have to be set in cement right. and, and stone and like, this is the only thing. But in that moment, what I came up with was that I get very excited, and I think I'm very good at now bringing together disparate schools of thought. So I might talk to a scientist one day, and he or she might say something, and then I'll talk to a mythologist the next, and they might say something, and I see these connections. And that gets me very excited. It gets my attention. And then I can't help myself but having to then tell somebody about it. Like, oh, I heard this and this, and and it came together, and it's kind of a new thing. So it's like some people cook, and they put all these tastes together, and that's my kind of cooking. That's what I put in my pot and let it simmer and add little things. So that's part of what that I that. Uh, prompt gave to me. I think you're a connoisseur of hidden harmonies. Oh, nice. Oh, I like that. I love that. Or something with patterns, invisible and visible, visible and invisible patterns. That's really great. Thank you for that clarity. And that's where we can help each other. We reflect back to each other, don't we? Absolutely. And that's so exciting. That's where we, when we're dare to say out loud something right. and then we get it back in some way that just enlivens it gives it color and depth and it's hard to see ourselves and also that's part of why i think people talk because you find yourself saying things and being heard and when you tell someone something and they can really hear it it's different than when you tell it to someone else and and we we hear we're able to hear people differently. I mean, no one gets all of us, but we all of us, you know, many of us get lots of parts of each other. And I think it's out of that longing to be understood um, and to share what we each know from our, all the experiences we've had that no one else will exactly ever have. This tremendous amount of creativity comes out of that. Sometimes feeling alone with it. Um, and wanting to connect, I think that's a great source of um, why we create. No one else sees the world the same way. And I love that. I'm in the beauty book, I think I wrote about it, how I went past a, I was at a school and I went past a board, a wall board of um, kids drawing pictures of George Washington. And they all looked different and they all looked like George Washington, but they also, some of them kind of looked like the kids who drew them. And there's this way that we each have a, um, I don't know how to put it in words exactly, our own take on the world. And I, when I think about creativity a lot, I think that it's not rare, but it's precious. And it it's needs precious. nourishing. And not everyone has the same drive to be creative in the same way. You know, it, it's like, again, there's, there's no rules. And in my capacity to be hard on myself at times, I can say, 
whatever I'm doing, if I'm writing and teaching, I think I'm not doing enough art. And if I'm doing art and teaching, I'm thinking I'm not writing enough. And it's like, oh, man. Um, but <laughs> you can't but win. We, we do Your have, inner critic can just, yeah. We do have a creative urgency and... It's like, let that be there and honor it, but let it be a little more gentle. One of the the poems that I read that, this is from a fifth grade boy in California, and it was one of the poems that you elicited out of this fifth grade class that just went pow right into my heart because uh, I'm, I'm, I love the idea of curiosity Right. And I talk about curiosity and in some of my writing and and I'm exploring curiosity. But he really grabbed it. He I I want to read this this short poem. Um it's Curiosity taught the kitten to walk, the river to run, the flowers to bloom. <sighs> I just thought, oh yes, curious. What the driving force of curiosity causes the flowers to bloom. I love that idea, and this is just a small example of this right. extraordinary poetry and 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 artwork that you get from kids. Yeah, the wonderful thing about that one is the way that curiosity motivates us, but also the wordplay. Curiosity taught the river to run. You know, that, and and how many words was that? Ten words? I mean, it, it says so much about how the world is beckoning us and inviting us um, to participate. I feel the same way often about beauty, that beauty can motivate us. I think it was James Hillman um, wrote that beauty is the way the gods attract us into the world. And, you know, beauty as a connection between the senses and the soul. And I feel like many of these qualities— um, they're not interchangeable. In the Book of Qualities, uh, the last quality is joy, and it starts out, joy drinks pure water. She sat with the dying and attended many births. She's in love with life, all of it. But that line, drinks pure water, I remember walking around for a couple of weeks thinking, is it truth that drinks pure water, or is it courage that drinks pure water? So it was like some of these lines, they go in more than one place, and right now I'm working on a couple projects. So joy drinks pure water. Um, sometimes I feel like I have these images and I don't know quite where, where they belong. I, that's another part of it is just the waiting. The waiting, yes, and the waiting. finding, letting them find me. Uh, I'm here with Ruth Gendler, and if you'd like to know more about her work, she's the author of the Book of Qualities and Notes on the Need for Beauty. You can go to her website, ruthgendlerstudio.com, and Gendler is spelled G-E-N-D-L-E-R, ruthgendlerstudio.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions.
I'm here with Ruth Gendler, and she is the author of the book of Qualities and also notes on the need for beauty. And Ruth, I, I when we talk about curiosity, it just leads us into the idea of asking questions or finding questions. I keep a list of good questions. I do in too. My, do I do too. I had certain questions that were guiding me when I was writing Notes on the Need for Beauty. The first one, who gave you your eyes? Who taught you to see? What don't you see? What do you see? Um, I was interested in how inclusive beauty could be or how beauty moves us into the world. Um, I sometimes... I write. I don't write words in my paintings too often, but I often write words underneath my paintings and cover them over. And sometimes I just start by writing nine questions or eleven questions, or usually it's an odd number for some reason. Seven questions. Um, one of my writing exercises that I invite listeners to try is either writing down five things you know, five things you don't know, five things you want to know. I love that. And when I read that someplace in in your work, I had to write down the five things I know and five things I don't know. I haven't gotten to the five things I want to know because somehow there is a conversation now between the five things I know and the five things I don't know. Great. It's just like, oh my gosh, it just became a whole wonderful jumble of inner dialogue and I want to ask other people what do you know what don't you know and it can be seven things it can be three things it can be I know I know I want to know I don't know you can make the pattern see the pattern is just there to get you started Um, you can do it every day you can do it when you're taking a walk you can do it like I said when I'm starting to paint sometimes I'll I recently walked into a studio that wasn't mine and I started with nine questions um, sometimes the questions are really random. They don't relate to each other. Sometimes, like with the beginning of the beauty book, who gave you your eyes, they're inside, they wrap inside each other. Um, I once wrote a poem, if the heart is a key, body is a door, if the, the soul is a key and the eye is a door. And I had a student uh, um, write a poem after the model very literally um, if your heart is the door and your hand is the key, who will make the snow, snowballs and who will you play with? If your eye is the door and the feet are the key, who will hear the laughter? How will you see the snow? If your feet are the door and your eye is the key, how will you climb the hill of snow to go down on a sled? How will you see how high you go? Just playing with the form, the words. Um, and when you talk about who taught you to see, you you mentioned like we we learn to see before we learn language, right? So we're we're like I I'm thinking of the that game we do with babies, the peekaboo right, game, right? 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 You know, and that's a kind of scene. Now you see it, now you don't, and it's and babies just get fascinated by the peekaboo, right? And so we don't we don't uh, we don't often think about how we learn to see those early impressions. I think about seeing a lot because as I look at other people's art, it's so clear to me that we're focusing on different things, and we can see through filters of melancholy or um, anger. We can see 
the hidden harmonies. We can see what's out of balance. And as I've been sort of saying through the day, the challenge is to intercept or interrupt your usual way. If if you tend to write, lament, and rant, and um, when you're upset, can you write celebration? If you tend to keep everything very positive, can you um, write about something that's really ugly and hurtful in a way that you haven't done it before. So I really trust that we can keep challenging ourselves and and going around our questions and um, continuing to interest ourselves. And the art almost becomes evidence of our um, curiosity. One of the things I tell people, people get very discouraged about making visual art. And I say, if I take tango lessons or when I was you know first studying Qigong, I didn't have... Um, a videotape or whatever it is now of my my early practices or you know I just kept going and get better eventually but when we do art the art is on the page and it's such um, glaring evidence of what we were and weren't able to make on the page and I think one of the other things that non-artists don't realize is how much of the time visual artists spend in some state of frustration. It's not like once you know how to do art, you know how to do art. It's what you're talking about with uncertainty. Mm-hmm. You're continually um, growing beyond what you've made into something else. And you're glimpsing and getting part of it, not getting part of it. There's a lot of creative restlessness in the creative path, a lot of yearning or restlessness or um, excitement. They're all sort of different flavors of the same feeling. What about the quality of courtesy, I think, is one of the qualities that you're thinking about these days? These days I've been thinking, I mentioned enthusiasm, I mentioned um, curiosity, and I got very interested in courtesy. It's kind of an outgrowth of my interest in time and balance of fast and slow. This is the courtesy quality, which has not been published. It has been sent out a few times. Courtesy loves conversation. He knows how to say thank you in 13 languages. Courtesy likes to address envelopes, attend dance rehearsals, and make tea. His handwriting is unmistakable, and I'm always happy to receive his notes. Of course, Courtesy hosts grand dinner parties. But did you know he spends nearly as much time with his animals as with people? Courtesy grieves our war-torn, speed-mad world. He He can be quite melancholy, but this mood coexists with a great delight in the world. Courtesy stays up after everyone leaves reading history and translating ancient poetry. He's an excellent translator because his education is extensive and his imagination allows him to enter deeply into the minds and hearts of people across time and place. When I was young, my friends insisted that courtesy was boring, superficial, and pedantic. In middle age, he's become one of my favorite mentors. He is well acquainted with patience and clarity and uncertainty. More than the philosophers whose subtlety you admire, courtesy is comfortable with what is hard to see. He honors the invisible gift that lives inside all real presence. Say that last line again. He honors Honors the invisible gift that lives inside all real presence. And Justine, I have to tell you, it wasn't any easier to write that one than it was to write The Qualities 30 years ago. That took me about a year and a half. Mm. And one of those, one of the times I was writing it, I had bronchitis and I was up with a fever in the middle of the night. So these qualities, just I can do other things. I can I can answer an email in a half hour now, um, but these qualities just take for me 
it's just such a glimpsing and then finding the language that clothes it and playing with it. And, um, and they become actual entities. They, they really take, as you say, they take on clothing. They do activities. They develop a body and soul. And they walk around and walk in your room and walk out of your room. And they tap you on the shoulder. Well, I like to say they're a part of us and they're apart from us. I, one of my examples when I was young is that I dance with courage, and then I go somewhere, and I have to do the courage dance and be courage dancing. And then six of us sitting together, we each become an aspect of courage. So they're they're incredibly simple, but also subtle, that they're both inside us and outside us. They're both personal and impersonal. And I think that's part of why they um, went so far in the world and got used with suicidal teenagers and uh, grieving mothers in New Zealand and way beyond my capacity to imagine that I could be there with those kinds of situations. I think um, it is that odd mix and that impatient patience I had to, you know, I, I retyped some of them 50 times. It's like, how do I do that now in this time? How do you do that now and this time? That's one of my questions. That's why why I may end up... Why is this time different? Because I I am a messenger and I get on the computer and I'm distracted just like everyone else. And it's hard to sit still. And, you know, I'm always fascinated by the comment about the cell phone. You never have to be bored. I'm like, well, how can you get creative if you don't get bored? You have to go past your boredom to go deeper. But if we can always distract ourselves with all this wonderful information, how are we going to do the deep listening? It, I, I think of it, that distraction is like the Zen story of the monk uh, who who pours the tea for the person, and, and they right. keep pouring and pouring and pouring, and the tea just is spilling out every place. And he's saying, well, if you have a question, you need to be an empty cup. Right. And so that's that, that's that. Right. kind of boredom or being an empty cup so that something new can come in. And it's so often a whisper or a glimpse. It's not like it comes full. <laughs> it's not a, 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 a marching band coming into the room. Five paragraphs. No, right. it, it's just, that's my, that's my creative process. Everyone's different. I know writers who can sit down and write. 30 pages, but that's not been my process. Yes, yes, I I understand. Oh, Ruth, it's just been so marvelous being with you today. You just brought in so many aspects of the creative process, and I love thinking of you as an anthropologist of the imagination. That's a wonderful phrase to describe you and all of your work out in the world and what you do for us. Thank you so much. Oh, Justine, thank you. It's total pleasure. My pleasure as well. I've been speaking with Ruth Gendler, and she is the author of The Book of Qualities and also notes on the need for beauty, an intimate look at an essential quality. And if you want to know more about her work, you can go to her website, ruthgendlerstudio.com. And Gendler is spelled G-E-N-D-L-E-R, RuthGendlerStudio.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, NewDimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions. This is program number 3521.
New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. For over four decades, New Dimensions has been producing weekly conversations at the leading edge. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. Or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions.